I'm so glad you're joining me for this episode of Street Soldiers on Hip Hop and the Feds. We have seen some high profile cases lately with Casanova and G Herbo, Takashi 69 and others where the federal government has been using conspiracy charges to try to put rappers behind bars. Is hip hop under attack? Is this something that's been going on for a long time? Is it just about the streets and that it happens to involve people with big names? Or have the feds changed their game plan and now do artists have to really watch their step? Plus what's really going on with these federal charges? How hard is it or how easy is it to catch one? That's what we're gonna talk about with our guests right now on this episode of Street Soldiers. Joining me is Amir Muhadid. He is the artist formerly known as Loon. He came home after nine years in federal prison last July, and he's now working as a prison reform advocate after what he saw inside. Amir, thank you so much for being with us. A pleasure being here, Lisa. We really appreciate you. Also joining us is attorney Philip Hamilton. He's a criminal defense attorney and partner in the firm Hamilton Clark LLP, has tried many federal cases. Phil, great to have you with us. Lisa, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Chuck Kriegmer. He is the CEO and co-founder of allhiphop.com. They broke the story about Amir's release and his coming home last summer. Chuck, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Amir, I want to start with you on this. Um, first of all, welcome home. It's great to have you back in the community doing positive things. Definitely. After doing nine years in a federal prison, how did the reality of your experience match what people on the streets think goes on there? I think that what people know about being in um, Federal Bureau of Prisons, you know, from the outside, definitely mirrors what goes on in the inside. You know, this information is not something that's tainted as far as how it's communicated from people outside to inside. But when it actually happens to you, you know, the experience in itself, it gives you a heightened sense of awareness of what's actually going on and what leads people into the federal prison system. You know, because many, you know, of the individuals that end up, in, 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 you know, incarcerated, you know, they kind of like honed in on what it is that motivates them to do what they do. But once, you know, the, the consequences come, it's like the federal prison system is nothing like, you know, what takes place on state now, I've heard the different stories about what happens in state prisons versus what happened in federal prison. And by design, the Federal Bureau of Prisons is definitely a behemoth. It's something that is, you know, has, you know, contributed to mass incarceration. It's destroyed the moral fiber of communities. It's warehousing, you know, men all across the United States. And, and, and the snowball effect is what reaches our communities. So that's why I say, you know, the communication between what takes place, you know, on the streets and their understanding or interpretation what takes place in the feds, you know, it mirrors one another, but there's also an unrecognized trauma, you know, saying that definitely plays our community. And a, and a lot of differences. And we want to get into your case as well, too. Uh, Attorney Philip Hamilton, in, in terms of the differences and, and what we're seeing, these, these federal cases, what stands out to you the most? I mean, what always stands out to me with respect to federal cases is just the level of time and investigation uh, that the feds will put into their cases as opposed to state cases, right? I mean, the feds are working with essentially endless, almost infinite resources that when they want to investigate a particular issue or particular subject, they can take a year, they can take two years, 
They can have the assistance of the FBI, the ATF, the DEA. They can have them all working collaboratively. They can have them working in conjunction with state task forces. The level by which they are able to just dig into their cases and, you know, secure these indictments and basically put, you know, defendants in a position where, you know, you're next to impossibly going to be able to just come out of the situation clean. Uh, you look at the conviction rates, even with respect to the feds, you're always generally talking, you know, 95% and up, you know, particularly here in the Southern District. So the way that I'm always looking in terms of approach of a federal case, as opposed to a state case, is that there's going to be a lot more work, there's going to be a lot more legal writing, and you're just up against uh, a behemoth, um, as opposed to sometimes going against these local municipalities. It's just totally different with respect to litigation. They basically have unlimited funds and unlimited time to, to go after what they want. Absolutely, Lisa, and they will, and they will. And we're seeing that, Chuck, uh, you, allhiphop.com, uh, bro broke the story about Amir, the artist formerly known as Loon, um, his release last summer. What struck you about his case? Because a lot of people are saying, what's up with these federal cases now against artists? Well, I think it's it's pretty apparent that they have an eye, they have a Jones for, for hip hop, you know, for uh, young black men, you know, and I think that the time and energy that they put into uh, rappers specifically, you know, is incredible. Uh, I think if you dug up anybody uh, and if you pursued anybody of note and wealth and so on and so forth, you're going to find something and you're going to dig up something. So to me, it just represents what all of us go through, but on a different level. I know if I drive a certain car, when I drove a 750 BMW, I got pulled over all the time. When I drove, you know, the Hoopty, I never got pulled over. You know, that's not that's not not actually true. But but I got pulled over less, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> less. <laughs> but they but they, they pulled me over for different reasons, you know what I mean? So I say all that to say, you know, uh, unfortunately though, but with hip hop, we put a lot of our business on social media. We put a lot of our um, outer, you know, things outward to the world, and they 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 eat it up. And we've known for for the longest time that on our message board, the feds were watching, and our comments and things, everything. Now it's social media. It's it's so much more heightened now, and the and there's so there's so much more that's out there. And we're going to get into the social media aspect. But Loon, the Amir, in, in terms of your forgive me, um, okay. in terms of in terms of your case, was it a conspiracy case? Because that's what we're hearing. We're hearing that conspiracy word a lot. Yeah, definitely a conspiracy case, and that is where the feds are more successful as far as their conviction rate. Because with the, the umbrella of conspiracy is so broad, you know what I'm saying, that you can have the slightest, you know what I'm saying, involvement with underneath that umbrella and you will actually be held accountable for the same consequences as the person that's directly involved. So in my case, it was really about hearsay and what they call ghost dope, meaning dope that doesn't even exist. You know what I'm saying? So for example, you know, the individuals that was in a conspiracy they had got convicted and sentenced in 2009, if not mistaken. I was already out the country. I was in Egypt. I was at Al-Azhar University studying my religion and so on and so forth and traveling the world as a motivational speaker. You know what I'm saying? So I was completely out of the way, you know what I'm saying, and, and removed from any activity that would even be remotely close to the hip-hop culture or the streets, you know? So 
it happened when I landed in Belgium that I found out that I had an indictment in the Eastern District of North Carolina, you know what I'm saying, for conspiracy to possess with intent a kilo or more heroin. You know what I'm saying? A drug that I've never sold. Like, I, you know, I had my histories in the streets, but heroin was never in the equation. One of the, one of the things that you, you know? sold. So, a conspiracy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, stop right there. We're going to take a short break. This no is problem. Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. When we come back, could you be involved in a conspiracy and not even know it? That's what we're going to find out. And we're going to hear more from Amir about his story and from our other guests, Phil and Chuck as well. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This is Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. Yo, what up? This your homie Ace Hood, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real poly tricks, and real people only on Hot 97. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. In this episode, we're talking about hip-hop and the feds. Do the feds now have a thing for hip-hop? Are they looking to put rappers behind bars? We've seen the cases of Casanova, uh, G Herbo. We saw Takashi 69 what happened with that case. And then we're talking right now with Amir Muhadid, the artist formerly known as Loon. He just came home after nine years in the federal system. We're going to hear more about his story. Attorney Philip Hamilton is with us. He's a partner in the, the firm of Hamilton Clark LLP. He's tried many federal cases. Also with us is Chuck Kweekmer, the CEO and co-founder of allhiphop.com. He broke the story last summer that Amir, formerly known as Loon, the artist Loon, um, was coming home from federal prison, and we want to find out more about that. First, Phil, let me start with you on this. In terms of these conspiracy cases, is it really as simple as you have a phone call or like your your boyfriend is, you think he's a businessman and he's actually doing some illegal stuff on the streets? I mean, what what goes on with it to make a conspiracy case? I mean, with respect to the government's perspective, it actually is pretty simple. Because the benefit with respect to moving forward on a conspiracy count, it's different than actually moving forward, say, on an underlying count, right? So let's say the conspiracy to uh, distribute a controlled substance, right? If you were generally just going to charge someone with possession of a controlled substance, right, or distributing a controlled substance, there is actually a lot more that you have to prove with respect to that individual person in terms of knowledge, in terms of intent in terms of whether you know, the, the weight in which they were looking to distribute was actually theirs, as opposed to when you start moving over to the conspiracy counts, it's a little bit easier to secure convictions and to execute leverage, particularly over those with minor roles, because you don't actually have to prove the underlying offense. You don't have to prove that this person actually moved the narcotics or that the narcotics was in that person's car. What you ultimately have to prove is that there was an agreement that was made by two or more people to commit some kind of offense and that an overt act was taken toward committing the offense, right? So to the extent that, you know, seven people come up with a scheme to move weight, let's say from New York to Atlanta, right? And one of the people, all their job is, is to go and rent the car to make sure that, you know, they have a good name, they have good credit, they're gonna be able to get the car to be able to move the weight down to Atlanta or vice versa. Well, even though that person didn't move weight in and of themselves, right, and generally would say, hey, at the end of the day, I didn't distribute, you know, any controlled substances. I just rented the car. The fact remains your rental of the car now makes you criminally liable for any and everything that happened in the occurrence of the decision and the overt act to move that weight, say, down south or vice versa. So if someone gets killed in that realm, if somebody gets shot, if somebody gets hurt, if something else happens from a criminal perspective, while that's happening, even though you just rented the car, now you're criminally liable. 
So it makes it a lot easier for the government to leverage car rental person who doesn't want to do all the time that, you know, drug distributor person did to then snitch and to turn and, you know, things along those lines. So it is actually that simple, Lisa. And that's why the government really enjoys moving forward on the conspiracy counts as opposed to the underlying counts. Chuck, when you first when you first heard about Amir being arrested and, and initially, what did you think? Because he didn't have that kind of reputation in New York from from my perspective that he was like, yeah, no, like that, you know, moving heroin. Yeah, man, I was I was shocked. I mean, I was, you know, Loon, Loon as the rapper was was the fly guy. You know what I mean? He was smooth. He was he was was super with the Harlem swag with the Harlem swag. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, man. So we we were there was a huge disconnect. I know he had evolved considerably, um, and and we were you know we were pleased to see him evolve, but for him to be hit with those types of charges, it was shocking. It was it was unbelievable, um, you know, to see that happening. So we didn't know really what to think of it. I've met Loon a few times. You know, sorry to keep calling you Loon, Amir. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? But but uh, but the last time I met you in person was when you were loom. You know what I mean. So, but just to say that you you are always too, I might add. Say that again. At a pretty fly party too, I might add. Definitely, definitely. But we always uh, considered him to be a cool brother who was you know upwardly mobile, but. You, you always in the back of your mind, you never quite know what someone's going through or. When the when the rap money slows up, what happens? And right. we've seen other other people go different routes once that happens. And to be real, then you know Diddy's sort of roster has all. It's always been a mixed um, bag, if you will. You know what I mean? In terms so, of you know, yeah, Amir, I mean, when you when you get so so you're on this, you know, you've left the music industry behind. You left the party and the the you know the whole that whole lifestyle that was going on back then. You're traveling around the world. You're studying your faith. You're going through this kind of spiritual evolution, and then you land in Belgium and you find out you've got a federal indictment for dealing heroin. Yeah. What's going through your mind? I mean, it took me a lot to put my finger on what was actually happening to me because at the time I was actually in the process of paying back taxes. So I used to call my tax attorney all the time every time I got on a plane. Like, yo, you sure. Ain't got no problem is you gave Wesley Snipes like five years for taxes. For sure. <laughs> so it's more like me worried about that. So when they grabbed me and they told me that you have an indictment, I said, no, y'all must got the wrong guy. You got to be another, you know what I'm saying, Chauncey Hawkins somewhere around here. You can't be talking about me. So it took me six months in Belgium to fight my extradition because there was a lot of things that were trying to, the feds were trying to do to me while I was there. Actually, a DEA agent came out there and tried to blend in with the United um, Nations guy. And, and try to like, you know, you know, finagle some information out me until, you know, me, I'm like, I will you like, well, I'm agent such and such, you know, so now nah, I ain't got nothing to say to you. I ain't got nothing to say to you. Matter of fact, I don't even need the UN. I'm cool because I felt like I don't even know what's going on. Y'all trying to trip me up. So it took me six months to fight my extradition so that I can land the United States and deal with the matter at hand. Now, the issue of mandatory minimals. You know what I'm saying? I was looking at what Congress says 10 years of life for the charge I was getting, but I had two prior convictions. So like Philip would tell you, now they're threatening me with two 851 enhancements. I'm Lisa Evers, your host for Street Soldiers. 
Don't go away. Yeah, yeah, what up, what up, what up? This is Styles Peter Ghost, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people. Only on Hot 97. Yeah, Ghost told you so. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. In this episode, we're talking about hip-hop and the feds. Do the feds now have a thing for hip-hop? Are they looking to put rappers behind bars? We've seen the cases of Casanova, uh, G Herbo. We saw Takashi 69 what happened with that case. And then we're talking right now with Amir Muhadit, the artist formerly known as Loon. He just came home after nine years in the federal system. We're going to hear more about his story. Attorney Philip Hamilton is with us. He's a partner in the, the firm of Hamilton Clark LLP. He's tried many federal cases. Also with us is Chuck Kweekmer, the CEO and co-founder of allhiphop.com. He broke the story last summer that Amir, formerly known as Loon, the artist Loon, um, was coming home from federal prison, and we want to find out more about that. What is that 851 enhancement? So it's an enhancement that's based upon, and you know, Amir, I don't know what your prior convictions were, be they at the state level, be it at the federal level. Drug-related. Um, they were drug-related. Okay, so the, exactly. So to the extent that you have, like, a drug-related offense or, you know, one that involved violence, now ultimately, you know, even if you're charged with an underlying offense that otherwise would give you a lower base level, your sentencing exposure can now be enhanced based upon the elements of those prior offenses that you were convicted of. So to the extent that you had two prior drug-related offenses, that's why you got hit with those enhancements. And that's where you talk about the distinction between, again, state and federal. It's those enhancements that start to give you serious, serious time with no wiggle room out. Like you said, there's no shop. There's no yeah. willer. There's none of these programs that just like let you just come out. Um, yeah. and, and those enhancements will hit you. So yeah, so basically, ten years of life, one enhancement will go to twenty to life, and the second one will go to mandatory life. So wait, hold so on one second. So you're getting you're getting time for something you did in the past. Absolutely. That's already a, a, another old, like an old case. You're getting enhanced for something that you already suffice. Like this, these they charges have already been yeah, they already been dealt with. So now with one prior, you can get enhanced from 10 to life to 20 to life. With a second prior, you can get mandatory life. So if I went to trial in blue, I would have got mandatory life for hearsay and invisible dope. So this is where the trial tax, we call that the trial tax. We don't want to take the trial tax because that's life. So you take, you know, the plea, which led to me getting a 14-year sentence. And this is where Philip can explain how the federal government leverages these things you know what I'm saying, and, and use all of these things, you know what I'm saying, to, you know, increase their conviction rate. Okay, we're going to talk about that. Chuck, when you look at who's in prison, though, you look at the prison population, you look at how, you know, there's there's also the publicity. You're a media person. It's like the, when, when a rapper gets, when charges are brought against a rapper, it instantly goes viral. It goes around the world. Mm -hmm. Whatever news organization is putting it out is getting millions of hits on all their platforms. It, it's like it, it's almost instant celebrity status for that particular mm. prosecutor or that particular office. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you you, you look at it and it's almost like a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, they're they're able to not only convict based on perception and what people pre their preconceived thoughts about rappers and artists and black men. And then also, like I said, the the inherent pursuit is racist in and of itself. So I think that rappers are now, they're just, you know, you get it on both sides. We drive the industry musically, and then you're able to then drive this other population as well, because 
there's this idea that they're already guilty and then you have to plead guilty just to avoid something like uh, Amir said, a life sentence. And so it looks like you're, you're guilty when you're actually very highly likely innocent, you know, if that makes any sense. So it's, it's crazy, man. You know, we've all had some sort of a situation. I had one myself. And, you know, at that time, it was much, uh, much a lesser type of situation. But, you know, you had to plead guilty or else you're looking at years in jail. And I, who wants to do that? You know, no one wants to do that. So it's, it's a, yeah, it's, it's crazy to see that they put you in those types of uh, situations and you don't have, say, the money even to fight it. And you don't have a Philip Hamilton either. You don't have a Philip Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> Lance and all the other partners there at, at Hamilton Clark. Yeah. Phil, in, in, in terms of, in terms of what, what Amir was talking about and, and what Charles was talking about, this, the trial tax and there's a there's a perception there's a perception in our communities that the system is rigged and especially if you're a man of color the system is really rigged against you if you happen to be a celebrity man they're going to try to dig up absolutely everything that they possibly can and then you look at hip hop where so many of our our greatest talents have come from the streets and try to leave the streets behind but sometimes the streets don't leave them behind and yeah. it's almost like a perfect storm for these prosecutors. Yeah. I mean, the, the the trial tax, otherwise known as the trial penalty, you know, in, in, in many respects, it is real, um, especially like if you're engaged in a lot of, you know, pre-trial plea negotiations and, you know, you're able to kind of, you know, figure out like, all right, what charges are we dealing with? You can charge bargain. You know, maybe this charge isn't coming with the mandatory minimum, which leaves you a little bit more eligible to, you know, potentially maybe walk away with house arrest or to walk away with some kind of minimal, um, you know, exposure that you wouldn't if you go to trial and you know what those guidelines are before you go in. You potentially know the judge who you're dealing with, whether or not they're a heavy sentence or whether or not they're not. Um, and then you're always looking also like just at what's your jurisdiction? Who's your jury pool? You know, you think a lot of the clients that are indicted within the Southern District of New York, think about Casanova. Think about what that jury pool is. Now, although it involves uh, the Bronx, okay, that's one particular county within that jury pool. You're also dealing with Westchester. You're dealing with Dutchess you're dealing with orange, you're dealing with all of these counties upstate that are super conservative, um, that don't really have a baseline understanding of hip hop and the distinction between the art and what's being said on, you know, the record, as opposed to whether that's the reality. They don't know, they don't have the context in many respects. You know, the general understanding is they don't care. So there is a large penalty if ultimately you go to trial in some respects. Um, it's a case by case decision, of course. But yeah, in many respects, no matter how much money you have, um, when you start dealing with the feds, in many respects, you're dealing more with mitigation as opposed to just trying to beat the case outright, which is more kind of like where you're approaching from the state. And I think just to you know, kind of finish up thinking through what Chuck was talking about, you know, as it comes to hip hop and, and everybody putting everything that they're doing out there, social media existing in a way now that it didn't back in 2000, 2001, it's a lot easier for the feds to do their investigations because they don't have to go through all the process to get a wiretap, to do all of this right, pre- right. <laughs> it, it, It's all right you're, on you're that. Much do, yeah, you're pretty much doing it for them. Correct. Like, like we talked about it, you know, the era that <laughs> I was in the music business, you know what I'm saying? What we were glorifying was, like people mentioned today, black excellence. We was trying to show the youth that, look, they got waterfalls, you know what I'm saying? You got 125 foot yachts. You got all these extravagant things that's at your reach. Like you can, you can achieve this stuff. That was the underlying message of what we were trying to project. 
now, you know, since I've been home, you know, I don't listen to music, but I see, you know, kind of like what's going on. These young kids is walking around with money and bands, and it's like they all got no shirt on, assault rifles, standing in front of a trap house with a wraith, and it's just like, you know, you put in all your business, you know what I'm saying, directly in the lap, you know what I'm saying, of the Federal Bureau of Prisons. You so know, I think through, all like, think through like the, the remember I Need a Girl Part 2. Remember, you had a big role in that video, but just that video yeah. in and of itself, like, encaptures what you're talking about, where the display was at that time. It was extravagant. Yeah. It was extravagant. Yeah, it was it showing, like, look, we can do this. It was upscale, like, that whole, that whole yeah. upscale thing. Well, it's a whole different ballgame right now. We're going to continue talking about hip-hop and the feds. I'm Lisa Evers, your host for Street Soldiers. Don't go away. Hey, what up, y'all? This is Lloyd, the King of Hearts, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people only on Hot 9-7. You dig? Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. In this episode, we're talking about hip-hop and the feds. Do the feds have it in for hip-hop? That's what we're talking about with our guest. Joining me is Amir Muhadik, the artist formerly known as Loon. He came home from federal prison after serving nine years last summer. He's now working as a prison reform advocate and also just trying to really help uh, young men in particular stay on the right path and stay out of prison. Amir, great to have you with us. Man, pleasure being here. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Philip Hamilton. He's a criminal defense attorney and partner in the law firm Hamilton Clark LLP. He's tried many federal cases. Phil, great to have you on with us. Lisa, thanks for having me, always. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Chuck Creekmer. He's a CEO and co-founder of allhiphop.com. And his publication uh, broke the story about Amir's release from federal prison last summer. Chuck, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. All right, let's talk about the G Herbo case because here's another conspiracy case, another hip hop artist from Chicago. And Chuck, he goes out on social media daring the feds laughing at the case, saying, come and basically come and get me. You don't have anything. I haven't done anything wrong. Were you surprised to see that? Yeah, I was surprised to see that. And I just don't think G Herbo knows what's, what's, you know, once they tell you, I don't, you know, again, I don't know all the specifics, but once they tell you they're looking at you, you know, that means they've been looking at you for quite, quite, quite some time and you're already in the spider's web you just don't know it yet and you're you're probably trapped now i i i know well i've met g herbo i should say so, numerous times in all hip-hop's interviewed him several times and he's a very talented young man i think he's a great lyricist but i think he also needs to understand the other side of this this coin and um it doesn't sometimes matter if you've done anything wrong it's only what they can present and what they can put in front of a, a jury or a judge or whoever, and or or quite frankly, what they can put in front of the lawyer. And then you you realize that your odds, the odds are not in your favor. And then you may have to, you know, plead guilty or or or, or so take a charge. Yeah, it's a long sentence or or a life sentence. Amir, when you when you heard about that, and G Herbo, you know, he's. He, t- he used his own money and bought a bought his old elementary school to give a community center for the kids in Chicago and in his neighborhood and has, has done some positive things like that too. But for a rapper to come out so publicly and really kind of defy the feds, like, you know, 
come and get me if you've got it. What, what do you think about that in terms of attack, just as a tactic? I think that it contradicts all the good things you just mentioned he does. You know what I'm saying? Because all of those things have virtue. They have value. And those are the things that should be at the forefront of who he is. But if you morph into this character that comes with your career and you challenge the feds who are trying to prove that you're this guy, they're not trying to prove you're this charitable individual that has a heart and has some type of moral compass. They're trying to prove that you're this guy, you know what I'm saying, from your career and transforming that into this statement that you made is like, you know, smacking a hornet's nest. You know what I'm saying? It's like mm-hmm. you, you, you putting your hand in the lion's mouth. And the sad part about that is when the pressure comes, there's only really two options. You're either going to lay down and take a plea, you know what I'm saying, go to trial and suffer the whole, you know what I'm saying, the whole, you know, kit and caboodle, or you're going to do what a lot of dudes say they never do, <laughs> is you're going to do a somersault. You're going to flip. Right. You know what I'm saying? And that's the sad part about it because you set the tone. This statement, you set up a broader stage than any stage you ever performed on. Now you created a stage where ultimately the whole world wants to see what's the grand finale. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Preferably the people who, you know, supported you in your career, the people that, you know, speak highly of you and hold you in such high standard in these inner cities that we grew up in. Now you got to show and tell. But now you don't fuck the system. Exactly. You told these people, yeah, they they got you know they want that smoke. So all right, we're gonna see if you want that smoke. Right, exactly. Phil, in, t- in terms of the prosecutor's mindset, because you have to know what their mindset is going up against them and trying to to um, you know defend your clients. When they see somebody like that on such a high profile level defying them, what about that? And what about what Chuck said that you know if if you're in the crosshairs, trust me, trust them. They've been looking at you already for a long time. He's 10,000% correct. Like they're never going to make a tell before they've actually seen the show, right? And so you, I guess you can sit up there and challenge them, but to the extent that you're challenging them, they then at that point, what you're telling them is that you now know that they're looking at you. So to the extent that you know that they're looking at you, maybe you're now gonna start moving differently. And maybe, you know, there just kind of comes a point where the investigation can kind of get ready to wrap up because now he knows that we're looking at him. He's going to be moving differently. He's going to be cutting people off that he otherwise would be speaking to. Things along those lines. So I guess you're just kind of signaling like it's over and subconsciously I'm ready as opposed to, you know, come and get me and let's see what happens. Because as we've discussed this whole show, you know what's going to happen to the extent that they've been looking at you for two or three years. They have gigabytes worth of text messages they have, you know, your own videos that you've posted on Instagram, you know, all these other people who, as, you know, Amir said, have already somersaulted and let them know everything about you. At that point, again, Lisa, I hate to say it, but in many respects, you're just kind of looking at mitigation as you, you know, and when I say mitigation, I'm just talking about just trying to fight to get some leniency, trying to fight to figure out how can you negotiate like a lesser charge, because to the extent that, again, you're going to trial from a federal perspective you're getting hit with heavy evidence. These aren't weak, flimsy cases. They're tight. Um, and I'm not saying that every case that they take is tight or that there's untriable cases. Don't get it like wrong. U.S. attorneys do lose in court at trial. It happens. But I'm just saying from a statistical standpoint and generally like on a case-by-case basis, what always is going to be the case is that the cases are just much more investigated. They're much more thorough. Right. Um, and making threats to the government about, you know, come and get me 
what you're just telling them is, okay, it's time to wrap up the investigation because now he knows that we're looking at him and let's go ahead and take care of this. And get those kind of charges. Chuck, in, in terms of the, uh, what, what Amir and Phil were just talking about, uh, they use the term somersaulting, you know, the, for snitching. Um, you gonna flip. Flip. <laughs> you gonna flip. In terms of the, the hip hop culture, that is, that is still one of the dirtiest words. Yeah, it's still one of the dirtiest words. I think Takashi keeps trying to make it okay and cool and everything, but it's still nothing nothing cool about uh, flipping and or somersaulting or whatever, you know. And that's just, you know, beyond the streets and everything. It's just as a man, you know, as a man, if you are, you know, involved in something and you 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 stand by what you you know what you represent and you don't you don't turn on your friends you don't turn on anybody really you know you take your your situation as a as one that you were honorably entered into and you honorably exit you know and that's just how I look at it so we see cowardice in people like that and you know I always say it because you know I don't I don't really have the lie gene in me too much and so I just call it how I see it but it, but in hip hop, I think you know folks are honorably, in general, you know honorably honorable in general, and we are always looking for that in you know the people that represent us on the on the big stage. And when you don't, Phil, is, is there a difference between is there a difference between a cooperator and somebody who's a snitch? Amir shaking his head. I, Amir, you want to take that? Is Amir says no. No, it ain't. I mean it's the same thing. It's one and the same. Like, this is the thing that, you know, I've learned from just my previous dealings with the street. You know what I'm saying? So this situation that came after I had made so many different changes in my life, you still don't abandon what you understand about, you know, this 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 code of ethics, so to say. Right. You no. Know, just to give you a minor detail, my, my situation was an introduction. You know, Philip, that's Chuck, Chuck, that's Phil. Y'all good. Y'all got y'all stuff straight. I'm out. So I'm like the car rental guy. That was the extent of me. But the investigation itself is about this thick. You know what I'm saying? It's, 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 it's all kinds of, you know, things that have been investigated through the whole duration of the conspiracy. But my role was about that small. But even with that being said, I'm never going to be at liberty, you know what I'm saying, to take another man's freedom or hurt another person when I'm the person that's involved in this. They didn't call that person's name. They didn't, you know, they didn't indict that other person. So I have to face these consequences, even though I didn't share any of the accolades or benefits from this conspiracy. You know what I'm saying? So I believe that to be that honorable thing that Chuck is talking about is like you can't enjoy all this stuff. You can't have all the fun. You know what I'm saying? Especially when you know you're driving a car that's going to eventually run out of fuel. You know right. what I'm saying? So when that happens, you have to be man enough to accept the sour that comes with the sweet. You know, so it's like, you know, you look at like back in our generation, you know, you have what they call conscious rappers. These were guys that was rapping about things that was uplifting, educational, informative and so on and so forth. They wasn't entertaining the streets and all of that stuff. You understand? They, they chose a lane. But now you have all these other artists, you know, what I'm saying ensembles of them and just an influx of them just keep coming out with the same narrative about beating these streets. So when that comes down, you know, saying you have to understand the consequences stay, they apply the same way that they do in the street. You know what I mean? You're just doing it from a whole different perspective. Exactly. So by 
exposing all of this stuff to law enforcement and making their job extremely easy, you know what I'm saying? And condemning yourself and removing yourself from all of the fun that you say you enjoy, all of the fun that you say you work hard to achieve. You're putting it on the line every time and every day that you exploit, you know what I'm saying, this narrative about you being this trap dude, you being this dude. I don't even see females no more in these guys' videos. It's just a bunch of dudes, you know what I'm saying, with a bunch of guns and a bunch of money. And it's like, yo, that looks like prison. Right, exactly. Your, your videos look like prison. So you're rehearsing right. to go to the feds. Minus, minus all, minus what you're doing. Minus all the cash. That's the, yeah, that's the real show. It ain't the shows y'all doing on stage and in these right. clubs and all that. You're rehearsing for the big show. The big show is you're going to be in, in the feds around a bunch of dudes with a bunch of stamps because that's prison currency. It will be around a bunch of dudes with a bunch of stamps. And it's going to be the same, but it ain't going to be the same. But that's what you're rehearsing for. So I really feel bad that dudes don't understand this. Like, where, where, who, who, like who's informing you? Well, that's a whole thing. We're going to talk about that in just a sec, but I just want to get a, get a final thought from everybody. Phil, in terms of advice for people to stay out of the federal prison system, especially if they're high profile, have a lot of followers or very visible on social media, what would your advice be to them? Operate quietly. Um, I understand like from a generational standpoint, you know, especially I think as you're starting to look at like the later millennials, this early like Gen Z as they're starting to kind of come into their mid twenties. Right. Um, they grew up with social media. It's not something that just kind of came into their life. Like it did mine in 2004, 2005. Right. It's always around as far as they're concerned. And so like Amir said, they make a lot of their moves on social media. And when you're making those moves, like you're calling attention to yourself. I always think about, um, you know, when you, uh, uh, I don't know why the name of the, the movie with Denzel Washington uh, and like when he went into the fight and he had the fur coat on, right? And, you know, ultimately- American the, Gangster. Thank you. American it's, it's, Gangster. It's, it's killing me right now. I wasn't going to take 10 minutes to think about it. But like whenever he walked into the fight and the feds were like, who's that, right? It's the same concept from like an analogous standpoint now in 2020 to the 2021 to the extent that you're kind of putting all that out there it is kind of like, a, who's that? Where are they getting that money? Whose money are they cleaning up, right? These are the kinds of the initial thoughts that kind of start to go through, you know, the head of like U.S. attorneys, you know, the feds, the DEA, whomever it may be. Um, and so to the extent that you don't want the attention from the feds, don't give them all of the attention. I mean, of course, try your best not to commit any offenses and don't go, uh, you know, in any right, way. Don't break the law. Number one, don't break, break the law. law. Start there. Right. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. to the extent that you're operating loud and, and, and flashy and, and putting all of your business out there, you're totally undercutting your right to remain silent, which is a constitutional right. Um, and to the extent that you're giving that up and, and setting the trigger for the investigation, whenever you do end up before the U.S. magistrate judge being arraigned, you can't really look to anybody but yourself in those instances if you operated in a way that basically got you fished into that courtroom. Exactly. Yeah, my my kind of I'm sorry. I just want to say something real quick on that note. My advice would be balance out this influence that you guys have. You know what I'm saying? This generation, y'all have a lot of influence. You know what I'm saying? And there's, a, and there's by default a responsibility that comes with that influence. You know what I'm saying? I believe in life we have two leaders. We have those that lead and those that mislead. You know what I'm saying? Whatever one you choose, you're still a leader. 
So you could choose to lead people or you could choose to mislead people. You know what I'm saying? So it doesn't necessarily negate the fact that this is your source of income. This is your platform. You know what I'm saying? But the balance is when you look at people like LeBron James, he's a young guy. You know what I'm saying? He could have easily took all his basketball money and went on about his business, but he's building schools. He's doing things that help propel other people's careers and help, you know what I'm saying, other people avoid some of the pitfalls that he was able to elude. You know what I'm saying? Not calling people or inviting people to the flame. It's like, you know, it's like a bunch of morphs. It's like you're trying to invite people to go burn opposed to trying to, you know, steer people clear from all the harms and all the dangers and the things that you were able to survive. Even if that's your narrative, doesn't necessarily mean you can't turn around and invest in something more meaningful, you know what I'm saying, and more virtuous. And I think that a lot of these young kids need to understand that those opportunities are there for you. It's there for you to go visit some of these prisons. It's there for you to go talk to some of these youth centers, some of these youth offenders, do this in group homes and detention centers and so on and so forth. They're looking at you. Right. They're looking at you want to be you. And if they don't want to be you, they want what you have. Either way, you have some influence that you can share something to help motivate them or get those wheels spinning to where they can actually take that energy and invest it in something more positive. Positive, no, an excellent message and an important message too. Chuck, final word, in, ter- in terms of hip hop's responsibility, is there a responsibility, especially with some of these up and coming rappers? Are, what's, your, what's your take on what advice you would leave people with? My take on is, is listen to the OGs, to the younger artists, to the younger generation, listen to the OGs, learn their stories, even if you don't get to meet them, but listen to them because and I think this is happening, by the way. I think that we have artists like, say, Amir. We have Royce the Five Nine, Exhibit, and others that are sharing their wisdom, sharing their knowledge. And I believe that a lot of it is getting through to the younger generation. But uh, as always, you know, we do have those that amass a certain amount of respect, money, influence, and maybe they're harder to reach because they don't see what can actually happen. They don't believe it can happen to them. So I would just love to see people be a little more smart, a little more intelligent, move with, um, you know, some sophistication. Stakes are very high right now. And the um, feds would love to have your head on the mantle. And if you think of it like that, you would move different. No, exactly. Well, I want to thank all of you for being with us for this episode of Street Soldiers. Amir Muhadid. The artist formerly known as Loon, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Good luck with all the positive work you're doing in the thank community. You so thank you so much. Thank you. Um, also, uh, thank you, Philip Hamilton, a criminal defense attorney with Hamilton Clark LLP. Phil, thank you so much for helping us understand this whole system and uh, how it really works. So thank you so much. And you know, I'm always here, Lisa. Thanks for having me. We appreciate it. And Chuck Creek, we're CEO and co-founder, allhiphop.com. Thank you so very much for being with us for this episode of Street Thank you. We really appreciate the power. Yes. And thank you for joining me for this episode of Street Soldiers. I'm Lisa Evers. Remember, use your mind. It's your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. Let's push for peace, love, and justice for all.